0: Welcome to allthingsnew.tech, where we are exploring the intersection of theology and technology. Technology is changing our jobs, relationships, and even our identities. It's easy to get excited about all the new things. But as Christians, we also believe that God is redeeming this world through His effort, making all things new. This podcast features conversations with entrepreneurs, technologists, and innovators, examining how technology transforms our understanding of God, His creation, and what it means to be human. Today, Paul Taylor from All Things New is talking with Brian Green. Brian is the Director for Technology Ethics at the Marcula Center for Applied Ethics at Santa Clara University. The Ethics Center works with a variety of organizations to teach them tools for making better ethical decisions. Paul and Brian will talk a lot about how the technology industry can incorporate ethics into their processes. They will discuss some of the big ethical issues facing the tech industry today. Brian will share some of his thoughts on the moral imperative for space exploration. And they'll think together about how Christians can make a difference through technology in the world today. We hope you enjoy their conversation.
1: Well, this is Paul Taylor. I'm here for AllThingsNew.Tech, and I'm sitting with Brian Green, who is the Director of Technology Ethics at the Markkula Center for Applied Ethics at Santa Clara University. Brian has a background degree in genetics from UC Davis and a doctorate from Graduate Theological Union Seminary. He teaches AI ethics. He's the member of several ethics groups, corporate groups, and has written publications on technology ethics, AI ethics, ethics of space exploration, and if all goes well, he has a forthcoming book out on space ethics that will be fascinating to read. So, Brian, thanks for being with us.
2: It's good to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah.
1: And uh, Brian has the unique distinction also of having listened to all of the AllThingsNew.tech podcasts, which puts them in a very small group of people in the <laughs> world. So we're, we're grateful for that as well. Um, well, Brian, why don't you just start telling us your, your story, how you... Um, Maybe how you came to faith first, and then how you started working with technology ethics.
2: Sure. So I was I was raised here in the Bay Area. Uh, my father was atheist, and my mother was a, ca- a Catholic, and she didn't go to church very often. Um, so as a child, I was basically unchurched. I guess I, 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 church was not a thing that I did. Um, but when it came to high school, I ended up going to high school at St. Ignatius in San Francisco, St. Ignatius College Prep. Out in the Sunset District, and mm. while I was there, I was still considered myself to be atheist. I wasn't uh, that very. I wasn't interested in the in the classes for the most part. The religion classes that we were forced to take every year, we had to take religion classes. So I got seven semesters. I think there was one semester where we didn't have to take a religion class. Your favorite semester, right? <laughs> <laughs> and um, but little did I know while I was there that they were planting seeds, mm, right? right? So so I got this understanding. Of what Christianity was like, um, and when I went to college, I kind of uh started having you know wondering what is the purpose of the universe? why are we here? These kind of deep uh questions, and I also realized from being in college and being in a dorm with very different people that there were there were christians there there were and, and Christians of all different types, yeah. And I realized that the media narrative of particularly about evangelical Christians was completely false. Sure. Um, that it was basically yes, there are smart Christians, and yes, they can be very intellectual, they can be very interested in science and math and all these sorts of things that the media narrative doesn't want you to be thinking about in terms of Christianity. So this this kind of revolutionized it, it kind of flipped a switch in my head. And um there There came a point in in college where I was very kind of depressed and i didn 't know what to do with myself. Hmm. Um, I had always thought that I was going to be a, a physicist or or some sort of hard scientist, and I discovered huh. actually I hate calculus, <laughs> uh, so I switched over to genetics interesting um, then I discovered that i don 't like laboratory work, which <laughs> okay. uh, you know if you're if you're doing uh, molecular biology is not a good discovery to come across either. And no, ma- and no matter how hard I tried, I just didn't like laboratory work. <laughs> I worked in labs on campus, and I worked at at uh, labs in in the biotech industry in South San Francisco for a summer. And I got back, and finally, I said, I what, I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. And, and in the midst of this this uh, not knowing what to do with myself, and also just wondering, like, what's the purpose of life? Why am I here? This seems like a like a not wait. Uh, like a purposeless and, and, you know, kind of inhuman existence. Yeah. Um, that's when I realized or or when I started hanging out with enough evangelicals to realize this was a uh, genuinely rational perspective to have. And actually, um, I came to the conclusion that science, and this is something that's been reinforced as I continue to study these things, science really depends on a Christian worldview in a lot of ways. Yeah. And And when I realized that, that all of a sudden just kind of shoved me over into being in in the category of Christian. And then um, at this time, I still didn't know what I was going to do with my life. I I was Christian now. I I understood that. Um, The woman who I was going to marry, she was Catholic. And she and I, uh, we got married right after college. Uh, We didn't know exactly what she didn't know what she wanted to do with her life either, but we knew we wanted to get married. So we joined the Jesuit Volunteers International, which is a Catholic Uh, Organization that sends volunteers basically around the world to schools that need teachers or or other sorts of organizations that need to have uh, people work at them. And uh, while I was and and the only reason I knew about this organization is because I'd gone to St. Ignatius in San Francisco, which is a a Jesuit high school. So it's the same order of priests um, who ran who ran the Jesuit volunteers as who ran St. Ignatius and also who run Santa Clara University. All right, so. We went out there. I discovered that I like teaching. I was teaching high school. And I also realized... That Where did you
1: go? Where did they send you?
2: They sent me to the Marshall Islands. Okay. And the Marshall Islands were somewhere that I had never heard of before, except for the fact that the U.S. had used them for nuclear testing <laughs> after World War II. Sounds like a great destination. <laughs> and 10% of their country is still uninhabitable wow. from radiation, from lingering fallout radiation. Um but I was not in the radioactive part of the Marshall Islands. They're very small islands scattered across a very large area of the Pacific okay. Ocean, a million square miles, basically. Wow. Um, and so so I was teaching out there, and it quickly became apparent to me that technology was more interesting for the from the social impact perspective. Mm. The social impact of technology um, was really apparent out there because they had been used for nuclear we- weapons testing. They had a long history of colonialism, which is all based on, you know, outside higher technology powers coming in and colonizing them. They uh, are now going to go underwater from climate change. The sea level is rising and their islands are average of only six feet out of the ocean. Wow! And so within a few decades, um, they're already having flooding events every year. When I was there, there were no flooding events where, where the sea level and high tide was just too high and the waves started washing over the islands. But since I've been there, this has happened. It's become almost yearly now. So the impact of technology was very apparent from being out there. And also uh, the fact that education is such a rare commodity in the world. Hmm. Um, There are lots of people in the world who don't have the opportunity to go on and and, uh, get, you know, a Ph.D. or a master's degree or any type of, you know, they're lucky if they can get to high school or college or any education at all. Um, And this made me think that uh, I should go to graduate school. So I went to the Graduate Theological Union in Berkeley, and I got a master's degree first in ethics, and then I realized, okay, the master's degree worked, now I'll go on to the PhD, and I got my PhD from there, and things they don't tell you before graduate school... It's really hard to get a job in academia. <laughs> right, yeah.
1: <laughs> PhDs in social ethics are not the... <laughs> They're not
2: super popular, no. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> right. So, uh, yes, yeah, su- I mean, lots of people get the PhD, but actually getting a job afterwards right. is, is really, really difficult. And I can't say lots of people. theres There are just more people who, who get the PhD than who actually get jobs. Yeah. And so I applied to 50 jobs. Wow. And the strange thing is, is that I... In my master's degree, I'd been, I'd said, I need to make kind of a consistent transition from from my background in genetics, which is my academic background, to what I want to be doing, which is something in Christian ethics. So I I looked specifically at the the kind of like the official Catholic perspective on genetic manipulation of humans, uh-huh. and uh, so there's this already this technology ethics kind of perspective built on into that, and then. For my PhD, I said, what is it about human nature and technology? What's going on there? Yep. Um, what is it about human nature that has some type of ethical or normative aspects to it? What is it about human nature that we need to protect? Um, Those are great questions. They're, they're, they're really hard, They're too. really hard <laughs> questions, yeah. And so... I got my PhD, and then I, I thought to myself, of course, this is super exciting, and everyone is going to be, all the theology departments in the country are going to be super excited right. about technology and theology or technology and ethics, right? They're not. They're not. <laughs> nope. uh, so I got hired by the engineering school at Santa Clara University. The huh. engineering school had figured out that that technology has a huge impact on human life, yeah. and because it's a Jesuit you know school that goes back... Uh, you know back to 1850s when it was founded they've mm. always been teaching uh ethics at the, at at the university because it's a catholic university and they they just recognize that technology is very powerful and when you have very powerful tools you need to have very strong ethical uh sentiments and ethical guidelines, guidelines, yeah. guidelines yep. and and decision making abilities and tools to think about yep. how to deal with these things so that is that's um Where I got hired and I started teaching classes for them. And then within a a short period of time, I guess it was about a year. The Markle Center for Applied Ethics on campus, there is a job opening there as assistant director of campus ethics. So I nice. became the assistant director of campus ethics and and I didn't have to apply for jobs anymore. Nice, that must have been great. <laughs> so that was that was I mean, and I should say that all through this, I believe, you know, divine providence is yeah, there. Right. 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 <laughs> um, I thought I was all, all through my life. I thought I was going to do something different. And then yeah. it turned out being this other thing, which was actually much better than yeah. I could have ever chosen uh, if I was if I was making my own decisions for myself. Right. That's a great testimony. <laughs> so so um then I'm at the Markovist Center and I have been there now for seven years. Hmm. And for the first for the, for between twenty thirteen and twenty eighteen I was the assistant director of campus ethics. But because I was also teaching in the engineering school, uh I was the person who had I guess the most expertise on technology ethics. I see. So In 2018, um, actually, well, it would be in 2017. In 2017, the Markle Center said, "Look, we really need to be having someone who's specifically doing technology ethics." The Markle Center is very large; Uh, there are over 25 full-time employees there, so it's a large academic ethics center. But it's not purely academic; it's an applied ethics center. So the really uh, the point is to take you know theories and and philosophical and ethical ideas and get them out they're actually engaged with the world making a difference so we have bioethics we have uh you know government ethics business ethics internet ethics journalism ethics uh all these different branches of or program areas uh, and they wanted to start a new one in technology ethics Mm. and they said well looks like brian's you're the guy job yeah exactly And and so i've been doing that since then and uh, working a lot, trying to make sure that uh, you know technology, which is an industry right now, which is hungering for ethics, yeah uh, making sure that they have access to good ethical tools to be able to make good decisions ultimately
1: what's been the industry response i mean are you Is it kind of like, "Oh, here comes the ethics guy when you walk in the room it or <laughs> who <you> talk to. <laughs> yeah. or do people <laughs> welcome those thoughts i mean what's it what what are some of the different
2: so prior to about twenty seventeen, we were we had a certain group of people who were interested in talking to us, but other than those certain people, if we went out there and said, Hey, you wanna talk about ethics, we can do like a presentation or a workshop or whatever you're interested in um they'd say no no i don't think that's interesting <laughs> we're good we're, we're good thanks <laughs> yeah exactly okay and then around 2017 a lot of scandals started breaking yeah. and and there were all sorts of things on social media and the way data was being used and and data breaches and all these things started happening and all of a sudden the tide turned huh. and they started coming to us and and, and asking um Hey, could you could you come and talk about right. ethics at our company? Yeah. <laughs> and wow. and the and the I mean one of the funny things about that is, right, it's companies who are already have a certain amount of confidence in ethics that are willing to come talk to you. The really egregious companies aren't going to come and do that. They don't <laughs> they don't even care. <laughs> right. And then and then there's this 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 kind of middle category which is um thinking about they they want to talk about ethics or there are certain people within their company that want to talk about ethics. And then they have to figure out um, is this something that we're actually going to do or not. So they have this kind of internal debate about right. how this is going to actually happen. And it usually ends up um, being rather complicated.
1: About actually making changes. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: How much support is this actually? How much emphasis are we actually going to put on ethics? So we've had some great experiences where companies say, wow, your tools are fantastic. We're going to integrate them into our work process huh. so that you go through every step and and every." At point in the workflow, you're looking at an ethical tool that's appropriate for that step, and then other companies who have been, well, this seems like a lot of work. Right. Uh, I'm, uh, maybe we can do this somewhere, or you know, we'll say the word ethics during the onboarding training. Or yeah. Something <laughs> like that. <laughs> we'll put
1: it in our PR material. Yeah. <laughs> so that's interesting. I mean, how it sounds like the best case scenario is that you're able to give companies kind of an ethical framework that they're, you said, integrate into their. Process design flow. What does that look like? Like, what what are the kinds of questions they're asking? How do they know? You know, one one of the questions that we've asked a lot at All Things New Tech is what you started out talking about the, the nature of humanity, right? And the power of technology to affect our humanity mm-hmm. in ways that we don't even realize. Uh, but but one of the problems, one of the gaps that we've observed is that there's not a lot of consensus about what humanity is. Yes. And so until you have a real until you have kind of a, a agreed upon anthropology you're not sure even what you're protecting so the the methods to protecting it aren't clear and um, and that's always struck me as as an opportunity for the church because the church does have an anthropology and i think it's a compelling anthropology about what it really means to be human but you know how do you what kind of tools are you giving companies that they when they are open to using it that they're willing to use and what kind of understanding of humanity are you Protecting with those tools.
2: So those anthropological questions are really, really deep, and you can't get into them in a workshop at a, sure. <laughs> at a company. They're probably not interested in that. <laughs> well, there are some people, right? I mean, there, there, there are philosophy, there are students who studied undergrad philosophy, you know, right. and, and then ended up at a tech company. There are people who are generally genuinely interested in those questions, and I think tech companies are realizing now that they're they're kind of treading on that turf. Right. But that's that's the next step. Sure. The the step that's right now is the Oh my goodness! How do we make good decisions? Okay, right. <laughs> uh, given this power that we've been given, um, so what we have is we have the mark. One, one of the things the Markless Center did when it was first created 30 years ago was to create a tool called the the framework for ethical decision making. In other words, this is a process for making an ethical decision. You start by recognizing the problem, then you have to get the facts about it, then you have to deliberate. And we we we're kind of philosophically agnostic on which perspective you take so we lay out five perspectives there's rights justice uh utilitarianism common good and virtue ethics as these five different perspectives that you can apply to your problem and you should apply okay. all of them because everyone's going to be biased towards mm. one of those um, and each one of them highlights different things so i have a colleague and she, she says they're like instagram filters right okay, so right. you take your your same picture but put different filters on it and each one of those different perspectives is going to show you something different Uh and then based on that you have to deliberate it and think about uh how what are what are other people going to say um if they learn that i make this decision so we have like we used to call it the television test the talk show test or, or now it has to be the the social media test right um and then ultimately you have to make the decision and implement it in the most careful way possible and then reflect did that did that actually make sense was it the right choice and then Go back to the beginning again if you need right. to.
1: Right. <laughs> wow. And so you've seen companies using that, and then... that is
2: it's it's been built up over a long period of time. So so we have you know like I said, thirty years of experience of using this already. So that's a tried and tested tool. Um, but it doesn't necessarily highlight all the things that are particular to technology. Yeah. It's a general decision making framework. Right. So. When you get more particular technology, then you have to ask questions about risk, for example. Or hmm. if we release this product and it, there's a huge failure, then you have to do a postmortem on it. What went wrong here? So we have this tool that's called premortems and postmortems. Okay. Take that postmortem idea, do that ahead of time, hmm. and you actually solve the problems before it becomes a problem. Um, we have another tool called expanding the ethical circle, which is think about more people than just the people you're already thinking about. Okay, right. How is this going to impact different people differently? Uh, remembering the benefits of creative work. So what's the real benefit that you're concentrating on? Make sure that you realize that there's a benefit there and that you're really emphasizing that benefit. And and when you get into questions of addictive technology, for example, yeah. uh, you're you're short-circuiting the benefit process, right? It's like there's something good about, you know, there's there's something about the addictive app that's good that right. you're attracted to, but at some point it needs to stop because there are other things that are more important. Yeah,
1: in life. yeah. I've had that conversation with some of the the people doing gaming on right. our podcast, and how do you? How do you build a game that's interesting and compelling? Yes, but not specifically designed to make you neglect all your other responsibilities in life. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. There, there's
2: there there are multiple goods in life. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and the game is only one of them. Right. Right. <laughs> if if it's even that good in the first place. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um. And and I mean, there is. I don't want to belittle gaming because I think there's actually some really fascinating, interesting, ethical and philosophical stuff that's built into into a lot of games. Yeah. Um, and they give this a, uh, an opportunity. I mean, it's a, it's a godlike perspective in a lot of ways, right? right? It's, yep. it's you're using your your god given creative powers to engage with an environment that you created and to see how humans interact in that. So I think there's a lot of really cool stuff there. But there are other goods in life, right? Yep. There's your family. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's you know eating and sleeping, is eating sleeping, <laughs> all right. sorts of things that that we have known examples of where things have gone wrong. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's exactly the
1: conversation. I don't think the podcast is. Publish yet but it probably will be by the time yours is uh with cheryl chen who works with uh, ai and gaming okay. at google and she was talking about you know, you're giving people the possibility to kind of make these godlike decisions in a safe framework right which is then presumably if you know if it works well you can kind of practice decision making right and then you can actually become better decision making yes, in real life that- so that's
2: that's a wonderful, beautiful opportunity that exists right. with ethics—the intersection of ethics and and technology. Now, yeah. Is the opportunity could we actually enhance uh, moral uh, perspective or moral awareness among among you know starting from a very young age, right. in very compelling format in terms of a game or something like that? Yeah. Um, and you know as that becomes more advanced you can be like okay you're going in the management track now at business school right, yeah. uh let's let's talk about the you know historical cases where where bad decisions have been made and put yourself in the boardroom how would you, That's interesting. you know, solve this problem so i think i think there are a lot of opportunities there
1: you can actually see consequences play out in a virtual setting so that you don't actually have to see the real consequences (laughs) and kind of learn from your mistakes.
2: Yeah. I mean, and this is what a lot of AI does is this scenario modeling or trying to predict what the future is going to be in a certain sense. Um, And it's very important work. um, If it's being used for something good, I mean, if it's being used for something bad, it's still important, but in a bad way. Sure. Right. (laughs) So there's the, I think the, the moral weight of technology has really, really grown over time. Hmm. And, uh, I mean, just going back to kind of the toolkit conversation, one of the things we talk about is think about the terrible people because there are always bad people out sure. there waiting to abuse the technology that you created.
1: That's a good perspective.
2: So this is, I mean, and when we take the, when we take these tools into a tech company and talk about them in workshops, um, a lot of these are obvious when you see them. But they're not obvious if you're in the technical details right. of the work.
1: If you're just in the lane of, D- deliver this to my customer. Exactly. You're not asking those questions.
2: Exactly. So so having these sorts of workshops at your company and having them uh, potentially built into the workflow gives people the permission to stop. And it might be just for a moment, right? It might mm-hmm. be just for a few minutes and say, here's a better decision that I think we can make here. This will prevent... Yeah bad use of the technology, or this will encourage a better use of the technology.
1: Are there like particular issues that you've observed? I mean, it sounds like you have a very broad spectrum of technology and you're here in the Bay Area where there's a lot of, of course, internet and social media. And are there a few ethical areas that you've seen bubble up as like, these are the things that are really either concerning to you personally or concerning... Most companies, I mean, maybe privacy is one of them. Are there so, are there some categories like that?
2: So this is funny. One of the things we talk about in our workshops is that ethical problems are like birds. In okay. other words, ethical issues are everywhere. Uh huh. You know, we're surrounded by birds all the time. You open the window, there are birds outside tweeting. Um, and you don't necessarily notice them all the time. If, right. you, if you want to notice that there are birds around, you have to actually be aware of that. You have to choose to be aware of that. Okay. And... One of the things that happens um, over time is that people—you um, can develop this this talent, right? You can become yeah. a bird watcher. You can recognize what these things are. So when you talk about privacy, for example, um, we we you, me and my colleagues, after a while, we're, we we thought about it and we're like, you know what? Ethical or privacy issues are basically the the pigeons of the like bird world. Okay. They're right? <laughs> just like they're, they're everywhere. They're everywhere, exactly. Okay, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. These privacy issues are very common. And so every technology company that has anything to do with data right. needs to think about privacy issues. They need to think about. Are they using their data correctly? Are they sharing it in a correct way or incorrect way? Um, Are they going to get hacked? Are they taking proper security measures about that? So there are all these kind of basic issues that we realize after a while have become very common. Um, and of course, if you're walking through, you know, downtown San Francisco, you're going to notice there are pigeons everywhere. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Um, so you have to watch out for them. And, and yet at the same time, technology also presents these very exotic questions a lot of the time. Mm. And like a, like a strange bird that you've never heard before or seen before. Interesting. Yeah. You're going to say, Oh, well, that's weird. I don't even know what that is. You have to do some research, figure out what's going on there. And technology is really giving us these powers that we've never had before, and so we're seeing ethical issues that we've never had to deal with before. Sure, I mean, really deep ethical questions uh, having to do with anthropology and having to do with with uh, what is it that's valuable, valuable about humanity? Mm-hmm. What are we going to What are we going to turn ourselves into with our technology? And it's not we don't have to go so far as thinking about like designer babies or putting like cybernetic implants in our bodies although these things are happening more and more yeah um it can be very mundane things um which which are just uh, the fact that the flow of information through society has completely changed in the last 15 years yeah it doesn't flow in the way that it used to it goes largely through social media now and that different type of mediation has completely uh, altered the way that we interact with information and it's made us vulnerable to all sorts of uh if you want to think about it, information hacking, that people are, are hacking right. our brains, basically. And, and uh, so we have to put up defenses that we've never had to think about before and uh, determine to ourselves, well, what is the value of truth? We, we really, really value free speech and free expes- expression. Right. But that free speech and free expression should be for the sake of a good. Yeah. And that good ultimately needs to be the truth. Yep. Um and so what what value is the truth as far as a right goes and, yeah. and how do these these sort of things balance against each other especially in a pluralistic culture where people are not going to agree on these things. Exactly. Equally.
1: What is truth and how do you agree on it and how do you Yeah. Hard questions. Yeah. What about like you know, I think there's there's clear like ethical issues and the the type of conversations we're having at allthingsnew.tech are about the intersection of theology with technology, which I would, ethics is kind of part of that Venn diagram, but it's not the whole thing. There's, there's there's obvious overlap, but it's not, you know, it's not one-to-one. Like I'm thinking of, um, you know, I read a report that said that for a lot of seniors now, their Amazon Alexa is their most constant companion. Right. So that's not, so you, you think about that as, okay, this is where we've come. Like, there's not necess- that's not necessarily unethical. Right. So it's not really in the ethical camp, but it's also not necessarily a great thing. Although, I mean, you know, you could debate this, right? Now, now they have someone to talk to and they have interaction, but it's, I think everybody would admit, well, it's not as good as real human action, but right. but, but it's maybe better than nothing, or maybe it's worse than nothing. You know, though, those are kinds of the really hard questions to answer. Do, do you get into any of those areas, or are those kind of left?
2: Well, these, these, these are genuine, important ethical areas. And actually, one of the things that I talk about in my AI ethics class is specifically loneliness. Actually, yeah. we're going to be talking about this in my class tonight, which uh-huh. is that we have all these new communication technologies, and yet people are more lonely than they've ever been. Right. And it's really uh, one of the things that I got from being in the Marshall Islands for two years um, was that they have a completely different culture than we have in America. It's very communal. It's very centered on immediate interpersonal interactions. Yeah. And yet they still have problems with loneliness also. It's, it's, um, the suicide rate out there is terrible. They just, mm. so many people, um, we had you know, multiple students from our school committed suicide in wow. just the two years that we were out there. The very common form of death. Um, and in the United States too, the rate of suicide is, 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 I believe it's going up. I haven't checked the statistics recently, but I know that it's, it's a huge problem here. And so this loneliness or lack of feeling of fitting in, even though we have the internet, which is supposed to be a place where everybody can find everything that they're looking for. You can find whatever community you want to be a part of there. There's still this crisis of, of, we need to have interpersonal interactions and they need to be. Uh, something that that is rewarding and 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 gives us meaning ultimately. This this question of meaning and purpose, yeah. I think, is is perhaps the one of the deepest. I mean, I think it is personally the yeah, deepest question absolutely. that we have right now. Right. Um, if you don't have meaning and purpose in your life, it's just it's life is not worth living. Right. And so, how how can we have a society that's rapidly secularizing? And, and I think there's a huge role for Christians there to go out there and say, look, your life does have meaning. Yeah. I mean, how how can we, how can we restore that meaning or give some sort of meaning, which is a, a, a collective, you know, thing that, that we can do as a culture, a civilization across the entire earth with so many different groups of people right. in different religions and no religion at all. Uh, we have to figure out how to, how to have some sort of collective meaning and purpose here. And I think as speaking as a Christian, I think that there is something truly unique about Christianity that gives us an an important and unique answer to this question. And it really should be a, a, a motivation and impetus for us to go share that message in the world.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I, I sense that the kind of, to the extent that there's a technology crisis of, you know, people coming, asking ethical questions. I think that's an opportunity for us. It is. To share what we believe. And I think there's a grounding and a framework that's not restrictive but really freeing and beautiful and but it's hard to communicate it's hard i think for people to grasp that
2: yeah i i continuing in that vein i would say that every crisis is also an opportunity yeah, right <laughs> yeah yeah that's right <laughs> that that um we're in a we're in a genuine cultural crisis right now yep um that has been brought on not only by technology but by so many other social factors interacting um and this is this is the time that God has given us, right? right? This is, this is where we are in the world. For such and a time as this. Yes. Is, yeah, right. <laughs> we, we're, we are here and we're the ones to, to actually do this. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, I mean, this is a time to, to, uh, to get activated. I mean, I'm yeah. not working at a, at a ethics center, which is just about, you know, theoretical ethics where yeah. you say, okay, you know, not a think tank. Yeah. It's not, it's, it's not like that. It's a, actually get out there in the world. And, and think about what the best way is to use technology and yeah. and and there is a genuine hunger for this as as i would i would argue that there are kind of two trends going on in society right now as as religion has decreased in power over time mm-hmm. i think people's uh ethical formation has also decreased yep. and so based on that decrease in ethical formation it's also become more important to re-emphasize ethics over right. and over again to give people the the ethical decision making tools and skills that they need right. to live in the world. At the same time, technology is making the world so much more complicated. Yeah. So the the skill the necessary skill level has also gone up. Mm. So as our skills have gone down, the ne- <laughs> the need for it has gone up, and right. so this gap has increased. Gap is growing. And and this is an opportunity for for Christians and and for anybody who has this kind of philosophical. Training in ethics to make an impact on the world because the world, that gap, that big gap there is just waiting to to have ethics come into it. Now, there, there are secular movements like there's a group called Effective Altruism who are kind of they're very grounded in utilitarianism. okay And and. Uh, they're kind of you know interesting in in a lot of ways, and I think they're making a positive impact. But I don't think they have the depth of tradition right. and the depth of knowledge of tools. I've I've actually been watching them for years as they recreate things that the Christian tradition already has in it. Sure, <laughs> right. Yeah. And I think to myself, oh, that's that's fascinating. But it's really too bad that Christians weren't just saying this louder in the first place. Yeah, yeah. If they had if they had just known that this work had already been done five centuries ago, right, right, then they wouldn't have had to go through the work to do it themselves. Oh, that's
1: fascinating. Wow. Uh, let me take a let me go on a different track and ask a little bit about space exploration. This is kind of a uh, interest of yours, and it's not something we've talked about at all. What's the? I mean, what are the ethics of space exploration? We should. We shouldn't. I don't know. What, so, so where is I'm it I'm in get... favor of it. Okay. So, it's, we should. That's <laughs> I, good. I,
2: I think it's an important thing, it, of course, it has to be balanced <laughs> against all the other needs that are in the world right now. Uh-huh. Um, there's plenty of work to go around. Sure. <laughs> Um but I think that, that uh God made the whole universe, right? There's mm. a lot to see out there. Yeah. I think there's a big opportunity for for you know, everyone to be inspired by yeah. space exploration. I think it's something that Christians um going all the way through the history of the space program in the United States have been integrally involved in. Interesting. And um and and furthermore, just on a broad category, I mean uh Christianity and technology have a very kind of strong relationship with each other over time. Yes, which yes. is another issue we can talk about if you want to. But sticking to space exploration, there, uh, I, th- I think it's a big opportunity for um, for Christians to look at and for for ethics in general because it's once again it's you're getting into this new area of technology that hasn't been explored right. before, and it hasn't been explored by ethics necessarily either. Yeah. So there there are questions that kind of the fundamental questions like is this a good use of time and money right. so those are basic ethical questions having to do with it but then there are other questions like the orbit around the earth is full of orbital debris right. that people just dumped up there you yeah. know dead satellites and second and third stages from rockets and stuff like that and and uh, and also residual things from, like, anti-satellite weapon testing huh. um, where, you know, countries are like, we want to demonstrate that we can shoot down a satellite. So they pick one of their satellites, they blow it up. And then now we've got a ring around the Earth that basically is a big ring of debris going at wow. miles per second right. velocities. You can't go in that orbit anymore. It's done. Huh. Um, so we have these, and, and that's kind of like... A basic littering question, right? Sure. Yeah. Right. Littering <laughs> First, the universe. We kind of figured this out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't just litter and leave stuff everywhere, but in, in in space, it it's been something that people have been doing for decades now, yeah. and it turns out to be very hard to clean up afterwards. I can imagine. And then we get into these these uh, you know further and deeper questions. Um, having to do with things like putting weapons in orbit. And it turns out that just about anything in orbit is a weapon because it's just going so fast. Right. Um, we have to deal with ideas of, of asteroid, potential asteroids' impacts on the Earth. Or how are we going to uh, stop things like that? All the way up to questions about um, what are the ethical issues with you know having a settlement on Mars yeah. or, or people who have talked about terraforming Mars, turning Mars uh-huh. into a more Earth-like environment. So lots of really kind of deep questions like are we is that within our purview from God <laughs> to right, go to another yeah. planet and change it really dramatically like that Wow that and, is interesting I mean it's it's uh, it's not questions that have clear answers at this point point. yet right. and and strong cases can be made I think for both sides Sure so it's it's a big opportunity to think about new things in ethics and it's also a good way to test our own ethical theories huh. to see if we have adequate adequate tools to deal with these sorts of questions. And if All we right. look at these these very complicated and kind of difficult and different questions and we determine that our ethical tools are inadequate for them or that some tools are better than others, then that might actually give us insights for here on Earth. So, for yeah. example, if you're a strong utilitarian and you apply that to something like settlement of Mars, you're going to come very clearly down on some sorts of issues like, oh, yeah, just get as many happy people on Mars as possible, whatever. Um, whereas, if you come at it from different perspectives uh like a virtue ethics perspective, for example you 'd say, "Well, would a good person do this? Is this the kind of mm. thing that a that a person we would trust or or um you know a person that we consider to be a wise decision maker would they make these kind of decisions and if so what would be the right way to do that and, and uh, what other considerations would they take into account?
1: Have you seen, like, is the or various parts of the space industry interested in these questions? Has there been resonance?
2: So not so much in the, in the industry. I think this is very much started as an academic debate. Okay, sure, <laughs> sure. Um, and yet at the same time, a lot of the motivation behind space exploration is is ethical motivations, even even if it's not the purest ethical motivation. Uh-huh. So you can go back to the space race between the United States and Russia that was very much uh, a question of who's better, right? Right. So you know, and it turns out we're better. <laughs> <laughs> we won, yeah. <yay. laughs> and yet, and yet, as soon as we won the space race, we became un- uninterested in space. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it had this 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 uh, subordinated goal, which is ultimately a political goal, right? Not not a deeper goal. Yeah. than just once you accomplish the political goal, then there was no more goal there. Um. But at the same time, if you look at someone like Elon Musk, Elon Musk says this is an absolute ethical imperative sure. that we get humans on another planet because right now we have we're sitting in you know hair trigger alert with nuclear weapons waiting to blow us all up you know within yeah. a few minutes, and we've been in this situation for decades and we've kind of forgotten about it because it's so st- standard in our minds. Right. But there are worse things coming. I mean, the in terms of of existential risk and other types of technologically induced disasters that we could face that are worse than nuclear weapons, whether it's synthetic biology or artificial intelligence or nanotechnology. There are all these different dangers out there Mm. that are ultimately, um, you know, destroying humans and civilizations, a big ethical (laughs) problem. I think we we, could agree on that one. There's not a lot of debate there. (laughs) Most people would agree on that. It's like, this is something we should really deal with.
1: That's fascinating. I look forward to thinking more about that reading the forthcoming book when it, <laughs> when it, when it forthcomes. Um, well, you know, we usually end our podcast, you're familiar asking two questions of all of our, in all of our conversations. Uh, the first is kind of what, uh, makes you most excited about where technology is headed. So as you're interacting with all these industries and various questions, what, what makes you optimistic?
2: So, uh, one of the things I'm optimistic is that I think that we still have enough of this, of this. these ideas of what people are supposed to do, kind of this, this, uh, um, a lot of it is, is, is kind of the residual Christian, Christian anthropology of what, what are humans supposed to do with our life? Well, we're supposed to make the world a better place. We're supposed to help each other. Yeah. Um, I think that, that there's a lot to be optimistic about that American culture is still that way. Western culture is still that way. And I think that actually a lot of the world has seen that and, and recognizes that that's a Good way to be, although it, it plays out. Yeah, it resonates. Yeah. It just, but it does play out differently in different cultures. So I think that that we still have enough of those ideas that ethics is important and and doing the right thing is important. That that our culture, I think, has a lot of hope left in it. Right. Uh, that these good things will happen. So I'm and I'm hopeful um, that technology gives us abilities that we've never had before. Yeah. We can through most through much of human history. Um, And, and ultimately, yeah, most of human history, we haven't been able to solve a lot of big problems. So if you go back to medieval times, and you want to cure someone of cancer, there's not really a good option for it, unless Mm -hmm. it's a very simple tumor that's like very superficial, maybe you can, and even then you're likely to die. (laughs) Because just from the surgery. Uh, whereas now medical technology advanced incredibly. Yeah. And, you know, giving healthcare is one of the basic things that Jesus did. Right? Yeah, <laughs> he he cured people. And, yeah. and that's been something that Christians have been doing ever since then is trying to figure out how better to heal people. Yeah. And we have that technology now. We have the ability to fulfill this basic task that Jesus showed to us as being an important task that we can do for each other. Um, and I think there are lots and lots of opportunities as we're getting more and more power to to actually make the world a better place, to do things that we haven't been able to do before. We need to recognize them, though. And I think that, actually, Christians are in a very special place here because if there are other people in in society who have forgotten maybe what their role is in life, we have an ability not only to be exemplary to them, to show, yes, there's hope, and yes, you can do good things with your life and have meaning and purpose. Uh, Since we already have that built into our own personality, we should develop a very holy sort of ambition yeah. that we can we can ultimately uh, do God's work here on Earth and make the world a better place. And yeah. technology is is our is one of the ways that we can do that. If we forget it, if we try to do that without technology, we're not we're not using all the tools in our right. toolbox.
1: I like that perspective that there's kind of this latent, uh, maybe call it a memory or something of like a Christian worldview in Western society. And I think you, know, you see it in the Bay Area with. Companies like Google has a slogan, you know don't be evil right And on one level it's a very surface level slogan, and you think, well does it what, what does it really mean? But then at least when things that are evil come to light, people are outraged, you know, and when privacy is violated, people are upset about it. There's not a kind of a oh well or right. so theres this kind of latent response right. that, that we ought to be better, and we right. ought to we ought to have some um, so that's encouraging. I think that's a good. It's a good perspective, and then Christians have the opportunity to speak into that and flesh it out, and right, you know, right, offer yeah. their perspective. Well, then the corresponding question is what what keeps you up at night? What, <laughs> what are you? It sounds like the extinction of the human race is one of them. But <laughs> well, anything I mean, else? It, this is, so
2: this is, but that's an interesting theological question, right? Would yeah. God allow that to happen? Right. <laughs> I don't know.
1: And is that you know? I mean, you read Revelation, and is that? Yeah, it's a, it's a great theological question. It's, I mean, it's, it's
2: a deep and disturbing theological question right. because we've seen all sorts of horrible things happen in history, and God right. lets them happen because yep. ultimately He's delegated so much of that power to us. Yep. yep. And in that delegation, so that that puts you know the the ethical imperative upon us to make the right choices and do yeah. better. Don't let this horrible thing happen. Right. Because we've seen it happen in history, and it happened even to God's own chosen people. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and and. You know, and and the most Christian place on earth, Europe, had the two world wars happen in it and right. it just had these these horrible things have happened. And so obviously being Christian does not inoculate you against having horrible things happen to you. Um but what it does is it should give us the perspective to say, we need to work really hard. Mm-hmm. Um this is this is a question where God has equipped us and prepared us to do the right thing and are we actually gonna do the right thing now, and yeah. and this ranges everywhere from little tiny things in our life that we can do better, right. all the way up to the the greatest, you know, biggest scale questions of human extinction. Yep. Um, I think that that uh, we have reason to be hopeful. Uh-huh. That's good. <laughs> I think I think that uh, God is always working, and mm-hmm. I, I've felt like I've had that experience in my own life um i've seen god working in other people's lives and i know that it's there and yet at the same time god's not going to make it easy on us right it's not it's it's not going to be a walk in the park it's going to do the work for us yeah we have to actually do it and i think that this enormous responsibility of ethics that god has put on us should inspire us to be the best people that we can be and ultimately to do that in an ambitious way right how much how much good can i can I actually accomplish in the world, yeah, and I think that technology enables that um, so that's mm-hmm. the hopeful side again, sure, but and and yeah, the greatest fear is that everything falls apart <laughs> Right.
1: <laughs> there is no greater fear, I guess than that, so that's that's great, well, I really appreciate your perspective and the kind of ethical framework, and even I think about overall just the process of like stopping and asking questions. I think that's probably. If there's any goal that we have at allthingsnew.tech, that really summarizes it. You know, we're not trying to disseminate a particular worldview or or kind of – we don't have answers about technology, but we think that if people just stopped and asked some of these questions – a lot of good would come of that.
2: So That that is so important. I completely agree with you. The very first thing to do is just to recognize that there's an ethical issue in front of you. If you don't recognize it, you can't go on to anything more. You just blow through it. You just blow through it. And I think that's happened too much so far. Yep. And people have started to realize that we've been doing that. And it's time to stop and just pause to ask the question. And then based on asking the question, find the tools that you need to actually make a better world.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, great. That's a great way to end. So thanks for being with
2: us. Really enjoyed it. Appreciate it's been it. an honor. Thank you so much.
0: Yeah. Thank you for listening to allthingsnew.tech. We hope you continue the conversation by subscribing to our blog at allthingsnew.tech. We have a variety of authors working together to develop a biblical framework for engaging with technology. Check it out. Join the conversation.